0: Turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke, the second chapter. The celebration of the birth of Christ tonight is upon us on this Christmas Eve. And so we gather together this Christmas Eve filled with a special joy and happiness that only comes to us once a year. There are other days of the year when we're also very happy, but Christmas for a whole host of reasons, I think holds our hearts in a special way. And we read the account, the most thorough account of this night we find in the second chapter of Luke. We all know that Christmas did begin 2,000 years ago in a barn where the little baby Jesus was born. And so what began as a day in which we celebrate God becoming a man should still tell us the same story today. But the question is, For each of us tonight, what sort of meaning does Christmas have for us? What do we think of when we think of Christmas? And I want to separate it into sort of four views. I'm sure you'll recognize that at one time or another, all of us have had all four of these views. And I've tried to give them labels. uh, But you might not like the labels, but they're they're, they're what I've labeled them. The first view is what I'd call the happy, happy view of Christmas. It's a pretty superficial understanding, but it centers around the concept of fun. That Christmas is a whole pile of fun. That there are Christmas parties where you work, Christmas get-togethers, the exchanging of gifts, family gets together. There are excellent football games on television. Uh, That There's a lot of good food. There are pretty decorations. There can even be some snow and sledding and hot chocolate if your mother is kind and obviously family love. And usually, if Jesus enters the minds of people who are consumed with this happy, happy view of Christmas, it's because they might drive uh, onto Winslow and around the roundabout and see the music director from uh, St. Charles Roman Catholic Church, who every year I appreciate, he puts a manger scene out the back of his house and you actually will see there the baby Jesus and, and Mary and Joseph. No, not not literally; it's just figures. But they have a manger scene there. And so this is the happy, happy view. Then second, what I would call the happy duty view. Uh, a lot of happiness. Everything in the same. The, the, the first view is the same: uh, the parties, the gifts, uh, the celebrations. But there's a little bit of duty here, namely, this person sees that. They, they, have a, they have a responsibility to do their civic duty and to show up at church at Christmas. That the rest of the year, you know, maybe Easter also. So you've got Christmas, you have Easter. Uh, it's a time to put in an appearance at church because you'd have to be very impious not to do that. Um, but mostly it's still the happy view. But you've got showing up at church. That, that's responsible. And so that's what I call the happy duty view. The third view is the baby happy view. And this is the view maybe of the uh, the fond mother-in-law. Uh, everything points to the sanctity of the home and the family here. So anything having to do with Bethlehem and with Jesus just reaffirms and, and, and reinforces our commitment to honoring motherhood and apple pie. But you don't bring up apple pie at Christmas. That's July, 4th of July. So it's, it's babies, it's uh, swaddling clothes, it's Mother Mary, it's evenings cozy, sitting around next to your family members in the fireplace, snugly warm, with a good book, uh, Eating Gingerbread Boys. So I call it the baby happy view. Very sentimental, that one. Now, I don't deny that Christmas is a time of warmth and beauty. I don't deny that God has given us a kind gift in a time when we all agree that we ought to go home and spend times with our, with our mothers, which I intend to do very soon now. Uh, I'm looking forward to being with my mother and my mother-in-law. My family has left early because of the snow. I can't wait to get there. And I don't deny that if we don't go to church any other time of the year, it is good to go at Christmas and Easter. Uh, I don't deny that there's much about it that is fun. I like parties. Um, Fourth of July, I like fireworks, Christmas. I like everything that goes with Christmas, the decorations. I I was wishing a few days ago that somebody would make up a map of the best houses with decorations in Bloomington and that they'd publish it so that you could drive and see them instead of having to discover them on your own. But I wanna to refer to a fourth view because I think this is a view that for us as a congregation this year is very, very uh, appropriate for us. And that's what I call the sad happy view or the happy sad view. Uh, this is the view uh, that says that people who have uh, depression or discouragement or holes in their hearts at Christmas are not sickos, but that Christmas is their holiday that they're not somehow disenfranchised because they have sad thoughts at Christmas, but that sad thoughts at Christmas are especially appropriate. Now, where could that come from? Well, think of how many people come to Christmas, and and, and the overwhelming emphasis in their lives is the absence of loved ones. And as different people got up here, and as I thought through who was here tonight, there, well, the Skaggs, uh, they lost their mother and father this last year. And Linda was telling me that right before they left to come to the service, that a neighbor came over to their house and asked how her father was doing and didn't know that her father had had already passed away. Um, and that's a glaring absence there. But so many of us have a similar thing, where this last year there have been tough things, an awful lot of deaths, And others of us have dealt with sadnesses. Will There will be many of us that have husbands, wives, children, uh, parents missing from Christmas this year. And so I want to ask, do those people have any, do they have any specific connection to Christmas? Or are they just people that have to set the season aside and just say, well, this isn't one for me. I'll, I'll see how quickly I can get through it. Well, I want to make the case tonight that uh those who feel loss at the time of Christmas are especially qualified to celebrate Christmas, and I think if you look at Luke chapter two, beginning with verse eight, and we'll just read the account of the shepherds, I think we see there why I would say such a thing. Picking up in the middle of the story of what will be recited in a few minutes by our children, it says, In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people." For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying what? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. It's very interesting that the shepherds were absolutely scared to death when the angel appeared to them. And so the first words were, don't be afraid. But then right after that, what does he say? I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people for today in the city of David. There has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So the joy of Christmas is that God himself did not turn aside from our sorrowful and really tragic condition, but that God instead became one of us taking upon himself flesh and blood and taking on the form of a man so that he could rescue us from all of the gaping holes and the sadnesses and the weakness and the sin that we're aware of as we celebrate Christmas. I remember about, um, I want to say, I think 15 years ago. I don't know why, but for some reason I was actually in Wheaton instead of up at the church I was pastoring in Wisconsin at Christmas time. And back at that time, uh, a lot of churches, instead of doing what Sherwood Oaks is doing now where they have all the different scenes of the life of Christ where you can drive through, back at that time a lot of churches had what was called a singing Christmas tree. And they would build this massive wood structure. I mean it was I think it was I think it was fully as tall as as the center of this room. And I don't even know how many people there were in the choir, but they'd just climb and climb and climb and it was in the form of a Christmas tree and then they'd sang. And because it was so large, it couldn't be inside. It was outside. It was in their parking lot. And so the whole parking lot would be filled with people, and it would be very cold up there at Christmas time. And so you'd you'd stamp your feet, you know, trying to stay warm. The choir would sing about Christmas. I remember that night. Um, I think it was a night that was uh, just shortly after my own father died, having this beautiful celebration of Christmas. And then all of a sudden being hit with the fact that my father was gone. And there you have a question. And the question is, well, is this a scam? And I thought, no, it's not a scam. This is this is accurate. This is genuine. It isn't counterfeit. And then I was thinking, well, then how can you have the joy and the beauty of Christmas? Everybody's celebrating it. And my dad's gone, you know. And then I realized that everybody there had that that it might not have been a father, it might have been a mother, it might have been a divorce, it might have been, I mean, there can be a whole host of things that bring sadness. And yet, it all of a sudden became very apparent to me that Christmas is a season and it's a special day that is aimed precisely at those who have sadness and who have gaping holes in their lives. And in fact, those are the people really, if the truth were known, those are the people, the only people who can celebrate Christmas. People who are happy-clappy, and that's their lives, don't have the foggiest clue of why they need a Savior. That's, remember what we say every time we come to the Lord's Supper. If people come to the Lord's Supper being confident that there's nothing that would disqualify them from this table, they're the one group that have no business coming to the table. And the same thing is true of Christmas. If people come to the manger at Bethlehem and just think, well, one more neat thing... They have no clue the meaning of this baby of Bethlehem. Because this baby of Bethlehem, this is what scripture tells us about him. It says, Let each of you have the same attitude of that of Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but rather made himself nothing. And what was the nothing he made? It says he took upon himself the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And so the babe of Bethlehem is God who was not grasping his his godhood, but who was allowing himself to be made in our flesh. He, the creator, became the creation. And he did this to purchase us, his people, from death and from hell. So God, the Father, gave his only begotten Son to the world to be born and to suffer and to die so that we may have the hope of eternal life. Now, if all we hope for is to get through another day and to breathe and maybe to have a drink or two and to eat well, and that's the extent of our hopes, then yes, I guess uh, we don't need to think about Jesus But if what you want is you want a solution to your sinful heart, you want a solution to death, you want a solution of separation from your father, you want a solution from uh, divorce, and all of the other things that we live in the midst of in this life, then the solution is Jesus Christ, the babe of Bethlehem. John 1 says, The Word, Jesus Christ, was made flesh, and he lived among us, and we saw his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And in him was life, and that life was the light of men. So I remember that night, in front of the singing Christmas tree, looking around at my own family, and I began to think about our sins, because you know your family's sins better than anybody else's. And I began to think about it. I started with my own, really. And then I thought of my sisters. I thought of my brothers. And then I thought of everybody else there, because I grew up with a lot of those people at that church. I thought of their children. And I thought of not just our failures, but I thought of the deaths and the separations. And I realized that, in fact, um, that is precisely why Christmas is happy. And so I don't have any hesitation in saying to the Childresses and to all of us tonight, uh, good Christian men rejoice. Uh, Jesus Christ is born today. Um, We are able to rejoice, not because our homes are perfect and our hearts are clean and our loved ones are present. But we're able to rejoice because Jesus was sent by his Father to heal all of those sadnesses. Some of them we have healed now. Some of them won't be healed until we enter heaven. But it's just a question of time. Jesus, when he came to this earth, healed the world. And so we have the promise of God that he is life and that his life is the light of men. So those who feel a touch of sadness on Christmas Eve are not wrong, and rather they need to go on and realize the end of the story, the process of the death of his loved one who God sent into this world 2,000 years ago so that those who believe in him may be given eternal life. Because Jesus Christ was born a man, we can live together forever. And because God lowered himself to the creature, the creature can look forward to being raised up into the highest heaven. Death comes, but then through death we receive life. And so my exhortation to all of you tonight is, whether it's happiness or sorrow that you're filled with, give it all to the Lord Jesus, who himself came to bear our burdens. And then trust God that someday you too will, together with all believers, be living eternally in his presence, where we are told by Scripture that there is exceeding joy forevermore. Every single time, uh, Rita and I pray, I have the privilege of praying that the Lord will fill her home with comfort, that he will be a friend to her, and that she will not be lonely. We think about the need for that in every one of our homes where there's a hole. But ultimately, our healing will only come in heaven. And tonight, it's a night of celebration because if God didn't abandon us but sent his son to bear upon his shoulders the sins of the world, if he took on human flesh, then there's no sorrow that we need to be be oppressed by. Uh, Yeah, we have many failings. I especially. But God came to bear those failings and to clean them through the blood. And so, good Christian men and women, rejoice. Let's pray. Our Father, God, we thank you that on this day 2,000 years ago that you did not neglect tender kindness and faithfulness and grace and mercy that you being long-suffering saw precisely the condition that our sins have gotten us into as the human race and that you decreed that your son would come here obediently and would be given birth to in the manger of Bethlehem and would suffer and would die and three days later would be raised from the grave, that all those who place their faith in him might turn and be rescued. We thank you that he is our rescuer. We thank you that he is our hope. We thank you that he is our salvation. We thank you that we have this holiday to celebrate this most incredible gift that the human race has ever been given far beyond any sunrise or sunset beyond the waves of the sea beyond the peaks of the Rockies and the Tetons beyond the precious gift of a child from his mother's womb that we have been given the son of God and that he has gone to the cross to purchase us from his father's justice